All right. Week four, Exodus 26 through Leviticus 9. Crazy. That, that's two books of the Bible in basically a month's time. We're making some headway. We are. Only like what? 64 more books. And this is definitely one of those places where people start to <laughs> bail. I'm, I've been seeing all the New Year's memes of like the faces that people make when they get to Leviticus and their yearly reading plan. Yes. Yeah, so this is one of those times where it's like hopefully just doing this together will will give us some, you know, motivation to keep going and also hopefully just some of the things that we talk about here will give some, you know, again, background and context that we're like, okay, I kind of get it and to keep moving. Yeah. Totally. That's what we're trying to do, so you know, like I mean to give it like the big picture piece by piece. Totally. <laughs> yeah, good plug there. Cue the intro music. <laughs> hey, uh, speaking of good cues, Rev, have you ever been thinking to yourself you might want a new book or a new resource to read in your free time? Is this a setup? We did not talk about this question. Well, go down to the Linworth Bookstall oh. where you can go and uh, buy all the types of books that you could ever want for the same price you'd get on Amazon, except for we deliver faster than Amazon because this is right They're there here. in person. Okay, yeah. You know? Uh, yeah, there. I do have some books like that. <laughs> okay, cool. Well, back to the show. So, you know, last week we had talked about the the uh, this part of the blessing that what was it Genesis twelve or fifteen? Genesis twelve. Yep. So we're walking through kind of the the blessing portion. How's God going to live in a relationship of blessing, which mm-hmm. traces back to that threefold promise that God yep. gives Abraham in Genesis twelve? Descendants. It's happened in Genesis. Now Exodus and Leviticus really is about what is this relationship of blessing going to look like? How's it going to play out? Looking forward, Numbers and Deuteronomy is going to be about the land. Yep. That that aspect of the promise. So keeping sort of that theme of what's how can a holy God relate in a relationship of blessing with a sinful people yeah. who he has called out Yep. To be his own by an act of power and grace and now is calling them to live in this way. But yeah. but these are sort of the ways that this worship is going to look Which like. Which is so amazing that God in his providence has made his law that we are to obey for our good Amen. and our blessing. Amen. I mean, that's Genesis 128. Yeah. You know, yeah. the, God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply. Yeah. That God's... It's crazy that uh, that God's law that we see even here in Leviticus, in the strangest parts of Exodus and Leviticus, was it's for our good. Was for our good and His glory. Amen. I mean, that is just that is just such a great thought to have in the back of our mind that God is blessing us in the in this giving. So, yep. you know, uh, we had kind of seen the last week that readers will have read that in. You know, Exodus 19, Moses is being called up to Mount Sinai. The presence of God is kind of on this mountain with the cloud. There's the giving of the Ten Commandments uh, in Exodus 20 and kind of the beginning of this law. What does uh, life as an Israelite look like in obedience to Yahweh? And now this week, the most of the second half of Exodus is really honing in on the tabernacle. Mm-hmm. That's That's kind of the main thing. And so... I think because of that, you know, we usually talk about the two themes of God's presence 
uh, and God, God's people and God's presence, here those kind of intertwine in, in many ways. And the main theme really on this episode is really tracking God's presence because that's where he dwells, yes. is in the tabernacle. So uh, before readers even begin to see a description about what the tabernacle is in Exodus 26, what would be your like two-sentence summary of what what are they looking at generally? What what is the tabernacle? What would be like the the quick summary? Obviously, without without all of the details. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think it's it's like this physical reminder that God is in their midst. Yeah. That God is with them, and there's even probably some aspects of it. So that's important as you kind of read through these chapters because you can get bogged down into, okay, this kind of wood and mm-hmm. this kind of yep. whatever and this kind of, you know. It's remember that what's being described is God's commitment to to dwell within, yep. mm-hmm. you know, with his people. And that doesn't mean that now, you know, you know it's not like this contains God's presence, yep. but it's a, it's a manifestation of his presence with them for their sake, yeah. for their sake to know God's with us. We're not on our own. We are his people. We're called, you know, by his name to live for him. And so this, this tent of meeting or this portable tabernacle, yeah. so to speak, as they move, it moves with them, yeah. you know, and, and that's like a visible, sort of challenge or reminder because even Moses at one point later will say, Hey, if you don't go with us, I'm not going. Yeah. You know? So this, this is so central to, you know, what they're being called to do that it's, it's just, that's why it's given so much attention, I guess. Yeah. And if this feels, you know, if, if you're more of a visual learner and you've kind of got some questions, we, we, we've mentioned, you know, the ESV study Bible has got some good resources, but even if you just Google yeah. the tabernacle images, images yeah. you, you could find some very basic outlines of kind of those different layers uh, that we see uh, written out in the uh, in, in this portion of of Exodus. So. Any any highlights about some of these laws that are given that that you see are, are worth that's that's worth mentioning uh well there's there's significant um time given to like sabbath regulations here and that's you know again this this reminder of god's god you're not Mm -hmm. and you need to stop i need to stop you know regularly and recognize that the world does not revolve around me and, and it doesn't depend on me, Mm -hmm. you know, so that, that's one significant, you know, law in particular that's, that's talked about, um, you know, other aspects, I think particularly in, in Exodus, before we get to Leviticus, it's the main material here is, is about, you know, instructions for this tabernacle intent of meaning. But, Probably the the most challenging um, and convicting aspect of these chapters at the end of Exodus is the event where the gold, this golden calf inc- incident, yeah. and so I think that's something to really hone in on, you know, in terms theologically and even personally and practically of 
you know, of of some good things to think about yeah. and chew on. Yeah. I mean, there obviously readers will learn much more about uh, the golden calf incident in in Exodus thirty two, and if you want, we can we can talk more about that. One thing I mentioned I meant to mention in the last episode that I think is kind of important to to connect is that you know in the beginning of Exodus, not not the exact beginning, but in Exodus four, you know, God is speaking to Moses uh, as he is trying to persuade Pharaoh to let peoples go, let, let Israel go, that uh, God refers to Israel as his own firstborn son, you know? And so even there, you kind of have this, uh, th- this new uh, uh, manifestation almost of who is the son of God in, in, a, in a sense of, we saw that Adam was supposed to be the son of God. I remember in one of those early episodes, uh, you had talked about that Seth is now the son of God and that, that genealogy that you're thinking maybe, maybe Adam and Eve thought that this was going to be the Messiah that yeah. was going to come right. through this. Right. And so as God's firstborn son, Israel is supposed to represent God everywhere that they go, right. which makes, I mean, it, it, it's maybe the worst time possible to, to disobey God. Obviously all times are uh, horrible to disobey God, but there's some unique timeliness that almost makes it ironic that there is this worship of a golden calf Mm. at a time that they're given instruction of how to properly Mm. worship God. And they're doing it in such an opposite way uh, of what what they listed. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And it's almost like before they get too uh, focused and arrogant against Pharaoh and Egypt, it's like, well, you know, is your heart just as hard, yeah. you know, as, as this, you know, kind of scenario plays out. Um, and I also think it's, it's fascinating because it's not as if they're saying, this is our new God. Like we're done with Yahweh yeah. and this is our new God. Yep. They are actually saying like, we want something visible and tangible to look like, at. Where's Moses? We don't know. He's gone. So, we're going to make this God and that's it's more the violation of the commandment of you don't make any idols you know don't don't make any mm. images that's really what they're doing is they're not they're saying this is Yahweh mm. they're saying this this golden calf is who brought us out of Egypt so they're not like ditching Yahweh they're saying well this is this is him we want something vig- visible that we can see uh, which is always a challenge for all of us of like you know god show us something yeah you know, do a sign here or something yeah. like that and it's a testimony too of how we can be we can have amnesia of god's oh, faithfulness yeah, totally i mean just to think about all of i mean we don't know how long it had been in, at this point in their wanderings you know but to think that god had done all of the miracles that he had done throughout egypt and had even just in last week's reading that there is a miraculous provision of food, of manna, and of uh, of water in the wilderness. And now they're thinking, man, I, I, I do wonder if God, uh, if he really is present, if he really is with us. Yep. Uh, another thing that I wanted to point out about the commands about God's people is that, uh, is that there are certain uh, marks, even rituals, that God's people are supposed to be distinguished by. Mm. 
So, for example, uh, I, I forgot to mention this, but now that we're, we've seen that circumcision has kind of become this sign, this kind of initial sign about who the people of God are. So there's kind of this initial sign of circumcision as, as an obedience and even commitment to uh, God and covenant as a sign of the covenant. But also now we have the Passover feast that's supposed to be observed throughout all of their generations. So there's kind of this initial sign about who God's people are and also this ongoing sign about who God's people. They're supposed to remind themselves of who they are in relation to God and, and his faithfulness. And this week in the tabernacle, not only is there some architectural, structural you know, laws, but there's also quite a bit about the, the priest's garments, what, yeah. what priests are supposed to wear, you know. And so, uh, you know, last week we had talked about how Israel even is supposed to be a kingdom of priests to all the nations. But there is kind of a, a unique role that certain priests play that the other quote-unquote priests don't play. Anything that you'd want to help kind of, obviously that's going to cover more in, in Leviticus, but I mean try to help paint a, a, a general picture about was everybody a priest? Was there just one main priest? Yeah, so that's going to be more, again, more of like as we get into our Leviticus, but Israel called to be kingdom of priests, right? So a priest's function is to, you know, represent God to others and also um, kind of be the representative between others and God. So as a nation, as they're brought out of Egypt and as they're given this law, this is how you worship me. And so as you obey and as you live in this way, you're going to be a priest in that sense. You're going to, you're going to represent me to the nations. Very high calling. Uh, and they obviously don't do it yeah, very totally. well. Um, and, but then within the worship system, there is a group the the levites mm-hmm. you know one of the tribes of israel that are set apart to be the kind of the those that are going to work in the temple and so they're not given a portion in the land because their portion is the you know the the, the tabernacle itself and their life and duty kind of all wraps around the the temple work or the tabernacle um, work. And so there's these Levites. And then, you know, from them, there's there's uh, priests that come out of, you know, out of their family as well. Yeah, totally. And, you know, it, it, it is interesting to think that, uh, obviously, this is maybe uh, n- not worth mentioning now until, until much later. But, you know, we, we already do know that the Messiah is to actually come from a different tribe than the one uh, the one of, of Levi. But right. there certainly is a lot of principles here yeah. that we're, we're seeing as some sort of um, honorable representative on who God is. You know, not only are, is all of Israel supposed to represent God as, as their God everywhere that they go, but the, 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 hi, the high priest, the Levites, are going to be the, uh, the, the primary representatives to God and people and, and God the people to God and God to the people. Yep. And then obviously they finish Exodus and they get into uh, Leviticus, the first six chapters of Leviticus or so anything or sorry, first nine chapters of Leviticus, anything else that jumps out at you might be a a stumbling block for people that might have questions about. 
I, I think probably with Leviticus, it's more, I mean, obviously this is very different in terms of what our worship, what New Testament worship looks like. And so you kind of have to get through that and kind of realize that this is, this is how Israel as a nation was called to worship and pre-Christ, pre the sacrifice of Christ, there's all these, you know, sacrifices and uh, offerings for guilt and all of that, those kind of things. Keep that in the context of Leviticus is really all about how does a holy God relate with a sinful people? And and so how's that worship going to take place pre-Jesus? Yep. Like Jesus is coming, you know, several thousand years later, mm-hmm. but until that time, this is the way that God chose for these. Yep. And it all looks forward to Jesus. I mean, totally. there's rich, rich symbolism that I think readers will pick up on. Yeah. Um, but there's also some of it that seems very random, mm-hmm. like, well, and even repetitive at totally. times. But if you keep it in the context of Israel's worship, it makes, you know, a lot more sense. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, it is interesting, like, although this is not the primary reason that we read the Old Testament, it is amazing that how much uh, context it does give us to the world that Jesus not only worshipped in, but also uh, the world that he entered into at the time. So, you know, for example, even in the book of Matthew, as uh, Matthew is writing to primarily a Jewish audience. He's using a lot of language that we find in Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, and the rest of the Old Testament even. So that even though right now readers, as as if they're uh, as they're reading, they might have questions about what, what what's the point of this. At the very least, that over time they'll see that there is some context that almost uh, helps reading in the New Testament go from black and white almost into color. It kind of helps them use the illustrations, helps them understand the illustrations that the New Testament authors are using in the world that they they were raised in. Yep, totally. So, Rev, any uh, any applications in, in your own life as you were reading through this this week? I think, you know, that the idolatry narrative is always challenging because, you know, for the reasons that we mentioned of how often and how easy it is for us to, in spite of knowing what God has done for us personally, to chase after other stuff, to get impatient with God, to get impatient on his timing, to quite frankly be unsatisfied with God and to just run after other stuff. And that's exactly what's going on there. And idolatry is a central theme and sin that we're going to trace throughout the Old Testament in also in the New Testament and in our lives. I mean, it is the chief sin that we deal with. I mean, it, it, it you can trace almost every sin that is in my life that's in your life back to idolatry in some sense. Yeah, totally. Basically, you're saying, I want this more than God. Totally. It's a worship disorder. Totally. And our hearts are just sinfully wired that way. Mm-hmm. And so to see this in a vivid way like this and be like, yeah, that that's me. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I struggle with that every day. Mm-hmm. But also, I think, you know, God's response to that, there was judgment. Mm-hmm. You know, there was pretty, pretty severe judgment, particularly on those that were directly involved. Yep. But Moses pleads with God and, uh, 
and basically says, Hey, if, if you're, if you're bailing on us, Mm -hmm. I'm out. Yep. Like, I don't want to, I know I got no shot with this. Um, and then I think it's in Exodus 34. This is the time where God like gives this kind of description of himself. Mm -hmm. And it's repeated throughout the old Testament many, 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 many times, but it's, it's, it's really important to see it's in Exodus 34, uh, verse six. This is when Moses says, Hey, show me your glory, mm-hmm. which is again, another bold request. Totally. And, but this is coming off of God saying, man, these people are stiff necked, stubborn, sinful. And Moses is pleading. And, and then Moses says, I want to know that you're going to stay with us. And God says, he's going to show him, you know, his glory just by passing by him. And then he says this, um, the Lord descended, this is verse five of Exodus 34. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. Again, Yahweh. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. So it, it just, uh, this is, that's super important because you're going to hear that description of God over and over throughout the old Testament and to, to frame, this is God self identifying. This is who he is forgiving, merciful, gracious, abounding in steadfast love. That's who he is. Doesn't mean he's a pushover. Doesn't mean that, there's going to be that we can get away with sin, like still going to be dealt with, but his character is this. Yeah. So, and that's right after the golden calf incident yes. where he says, you know, Moses says to the people, you have sinned a great sin. Yeah. And that is how lo- the Lord describes himself, even in those moments, which yeah. not only testifies to the, the sinfulness of mankind, but also, you know, the faithfulness of God, yeah. uh, the, the mercy of God. You know, another thing, uh, one, one thing that I thought maybe might be helpful is even before reading this section on the tabernacle, even just in your own Bible reading, readers might find helpful to read the last passage of Exodus 40, uh, verses 34 through 38, just four verses talking about the glory of God filling the tent. You know, they're giving a lot of detail that kind of seems abstract and even to our ears and, and, and eyes, you know, it feels kind of purposeless. But here we're, we're seeing that the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle and Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle throughout all their journeys. Whenever the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the people of Israel would set out. But if the cloud was not taken up, they did not set out till the day that it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day, and fire was in it by night, in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. So this is their livelihood. I mean, right. they're entirely relying on this, this very elaborate uh, structure that moves from place to place when God says so. The one application that I was going to add, and then we can, we can close in prayer. Rev, I don't even know how to say these people's names. Exodus 31 Oh, Haliab and Bezalel. Oh, yeah. That's my guess. Is that how you said it? Yeah. Okay. Uh, I love this. The first three verses. Uh, I guess it's first five verses. But here, 
God is saying that he has filled them with the, the, these two individuals that he calls by name, that he's filled them with the spirit of God, with ability and intelligence and knowledge and all craftsmanship to devise artistic designs to work in gold, silver, and bronze and cutting stones and, and for setting and carving wood to work in every craft. I can imagine, just like anybody else here in the world feels today, does my job, what I do every day, actually play a role in glorifying God? You know, is there any work that I can do uh, from my for my nine to five employment for the kingdom of God? And here, God is saying that not only are their talents and their wisdom and their craftsmanship from God Himself, but also that He has used them or He has given them those abilities for a particular purpose his glory and man i so rarely uh view uh what god has given me and has placed me here in ohio you know for those reasons as well so it's just a it i i think again similar to last week is that there is a, a serious posture here a posture check of who is the creator God that gives us instruction and who are the creatures that humbly listen to him uh, everywhere, everywhere that he leads us. So, yeah, that's a really good insight. And I think it's also like a, just a, a, a good um, kind of piece of framework about the Holy spirit in the old Testament. Cause a lot of times that's a question we have yeah. is like, he's not there. Yeah. What's going on there. Yeah. And at here, so in the old Testament, what we see is the spirit coming on and filling for particular uh tasks hmm. whereas in the the new testament that filling still takes place but the indwelling of the spirit is is true in the the believer that that doesn't you know the spirit doesn't leave in that sense so it's um in the old testament the spirit comes for a particular task on you know god's people but when we get to the New Testament, there's this lasting indwelling of the mm. Spirit in the life of the believer because of Jesus, yeah. you know, having come and then sending the Spirit. Yeah. So that th- that's a good, like he says here, I'm filling them with the Spirit mm-hmm. to do this work. Yeah. Like they're really good at this stuff, mm-hmm. and I'm going to use that for the tabernacle. Yeah. But to your point, it's like also, so there's ways that God can use you that are good in technology or you're good in you know, art or you're good in medicine or whatever it is, like God's going to use that for his glory as we, you know, allow him to do so. And again, you know, there's kind of that continued theme from Genesis one that we're supposed to be cultivating everywhere that we go. And at this particular point in the narrative, it's by Israel being kingdom of priests, you know, everywhere that they go. And we're going to kind of see, how do God's people represent God everywhere that we go as we continue to go through uh, through the Bible? So, uh, Brent, you want to pray for people as they read through second half of Exodus yep. and even the rest of, yeah. Father, thanks for the chance to engage with you through your word again. Thank you for the this portion of um, your scripture, and I pray that you would uh, continue to show yourself to us and you would also show reveal us to us, that we would see things about us that don't reflect you, that need to change, that uh, need your grace and forgiveness. And so we pray that 
that would be the case, and uh, we would continue to be grateful and thankful for this privilege that we have to be a part of the blessing that you promised to Abraham that came through Israel that was ultimately fulfilled in Jesus and that extends to us and to all the peoples of the earth. So use us this week for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Amen.